I want to thank the elders and the church board of the Good News Chapel for inviting me to make this presentation this morning, and I pray that it will be a blessing to you. I also want to thank my friends, family, and loved ones who helped me in the preparation. I want to also thank you for your prayers. And finally, I want to thank the five women who came before me, to, who presented on these hidden figures. Your presentations were also a blessing to me, and I pray that it was a blessing to you as well. And now, my hidden figure, I will have to confess, when the elder called and told me about this series, I said, I have one requ request. And he said, what is that? I said, I want Mary Magdalene. And he was like, okay, you can have her. And I praise God that I did get her and you'll see why as we go through my presentation. So my question to you watching on virtual platforms, when you hear the name Mary Magdalene, what comes to mind? I'll give you 30 seconds so you can start writing in the chat. What comes to your mind when you hear the name Mary Magdalene? Did you say sister of Lazarus? That is true. Did you say sister of Martha? That too is true. Did you say she was the one who anointed Jesus for his burial? You're right, that's Mary Magdalene. And did you say she was the one, the first to proclaim a resurrected Christ? All of those events occurred in the life of Mary Magdalene. But she is not a typical hidden figure, like some of those we met in so far in the series. And that is because Jesus himself in John 12, 13 says this of Mary Magdalene. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial of her. Jesus himself said Mary and what she did for him would be memorialized. That makes her a very unconventional hidden figure. With that, I'd like you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you are a God who says, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things you know nothing of. I pray that you will show up, show yourself mighty in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Mary's story is a bit unconventional. And Carolyn Curtis James, author of the blog titled, The First New Testament Theologian Was a Woman, says this about Mary. Mary's story has been downsized because of the long-held negative assumptions about women that has held back and limited the church. So whilst Mary is not a conventional hidden figure, she suffers from the same issues that many hidden figures in the Bible suffers from. Let's go to our story that takes place in Luke 10 verses 38. We take up 
an encounter, the first encounter of the three encounters with Mary and Jesus that we're going to focus on for our short discussion this morning. Before we go into Luke 38, let's just set the context, what happens in Luke 10. In Luke 10, so we're, the, our story is in Luke 10, 38, the interaction with Mary and Jesus. But I want us to just set the context of what is happening in Luke 10. In Luke 10, verse 1 and 2, we see Jesus sending out 70 disciples. He's sending them out two by two. And we are told in verse 2, they're going out because the harvest is great. And here's what he says in Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He then gives them guidelines as they go out and they go back, they go out and they come back. In verse 17, we're told they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They had been successful. And what a mighty thing this is. Jesus tells them, be careful, don't rejoice over having power on earth. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. And that's a warning for us all. But let us continue. We're not finished with Luke 10. Then Jesus prays and he prays a prayer thanking his father. And here's what he says in verse 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And he goes on in this prayer, but the point is Jesus is revealing here that there are some hidden things that God has not revealed to the wise and the prudent, but he has reserved for babes. The next account in the story of Luke 10 takes us to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this part of the Luke 10, we meet a wise and prudent man, a lawyer. And this lawyer has come to Jesus to test him, not to learn of him. And he questions him about how he could inherit eternal life. And in a number of verses, Jesus then walks him through the story of the Good Samaritan to explain to him the question who is my neighbor? And in essence, Jesus says, your neighbor is anyone who needs help in your proximity. A good reminder for us in these times of COVID. So now we get to Luke 10, 38. Let us walk through the story. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken from her. 
So in this story, we understand that Jesus has encountered Mary and Martha. And we see Mary as the one who has taken a position, the text tells us, at Jesus' feet. Martha is concerned and very worried about getting everything ready. She has a guest in her house. And most of us who are women, and even women who are, you don't have to be a woman, understand this principle. There is a shame when people have come to your house and you are not ready. But here's the thing I want to tell you, and I hope you don't miss it, which is quite remarkable about Jesus in this encounter, is that Jesus has taken a marginalized woman, and in the Jewish culture at that time, women did not sit at the feet of rabbis. It was not done. But Mary sat at his feet. Mary sat at his feet to listen and to learn as any other disciple. And this was not heard of in historical Jewish society. Rabbis would not permit women to do this. So don't let this slip by. While many of the stories in this Hidden Figure series centered on the mistreatment of women by their fellow humans, not Jesus. Jesus' interactions with women, and in particular with Mary in this story, shows that he elevated women, the status of women, and also dignified them. So what does that mean? And that's our first theme. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? It means no matter your social status, no matter cultural practices around you, no matter your ethnicity, no matter how people interact with you, Jesus has come and he will meet with you, he will elevate your status, and he will dignify you. And as his followers, we too should be of the mind to do the same. But let's go a little deeper. There are jokes made about a woman's place in the kitchen. And there are many stereotypes surrounding the idea that women should be in a particular place doing a particular thing. And even in the church, women are often given the task of cooking and cleaning, hospitality and decorating. And there is nothing wrong with these tasks. I, I, I can testify, nothing wrong with food, nothing wrong with cooking. But often cultural norms are used to assign tasks which sometimes limit the ability women have to access and to do the things the Lord of the harvest has called them to do. And often we have people pressuring, gently in some cases, and in this case with her sister Martha, not so gently, pressuring women to go work on tasks that the Lord of the harvest has not called them to do. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary was studying the word of God. Mary was doing what Jesus told in Matthew 4, 4. She was giving herself the time and attention to the word of God and recognizing that man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that cometh from the mouth of God. So that brings us to Martha. Her frustration is understandable. She's expecting her sister to do something and she's not. But Carolyn Curtis James continues and says, 
Martha felt that Mary was ignoring her proper place as a woman. She should be serving the men, not sitting at Jesus' feet. And that takes us to theme two. Jesus does not press upon us cultural stereotypes. Jesus does not box us with these cultural norms and stereotypes that others might want to put upon us. Jesus wants us to spend time with him, to feed on his word and be moved as the Holy Spirit directs. And we see that in Jesus's counsel to Martha. Martha, you are worried about many things. What Mary is concerned about is good. We too need to be aware that fitting into cultural norms, defined boxes, stereotypes, based on socioeconomic status, geographic location, education, disability, or any such thing is not what Jesus has come to do. Instead, he is interested in our obedience, our faithfulness to his word. And in a world that often tries to shape us as women into convenient and sometimes quite small boxes, I thank Jesus for this great hope and his unwavering commitment that he wants us to be like him and to sit at his feet. Let us move on to the next interaction we are going to focus on between Mary and Jesus. And this one is found in John chapter 11. It is a well-known story around the resurrection of her brother Lazarus. If you don't know the story, let me try and give it to you in 30 seconds. Jesus is away. Lazarus is sick. The sisters send word, your friend is sick, expecting to see Jesus. He doesn't come. He doesn't come, and four days later, he shows up. By then, Lazarus is dead. The sisters are heartbroken. And the first one meets Jesus, and he goes through with her, and then he meets up with Mary. And Mary says to him, as a sister did, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What unshakable faith. If you had been here in the past, my brother would not have died. And Jesus asks where Lazarus is buried, and he goes there with her. But what I want you to get is that in John eleven thirty seven, we see Jesus respond to this tragedy with compassion and intimate knowledge of how to comfort these two sisters. And it's especially important to recognize Jesus knew he was already going to resurrect Lazarus. But verse 35 tells us he wept. What does that mean? Sometimes, church, we have a tendency to be a bit cold when others are weeping around us. And we can even take a hands-off position to injustice that is happening. But Jesus shows empathy in his tears. And this is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Jesus is empathetic. Jesus knows and is able to emotionally understand and see things from the point of view 
of others and even imagine himself in their place. And this is confirmed by Hebrews 4.15, which says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus has empathy for you, sisters and brothers. He feels, he cries with you. And as a woman, and I can confess that there's a whole lot more crying happening these days with COVID-19. And thankfully, we can be assured that Jesus is not coldly watching from above. He empathizes with us, and so too should we. And finally, we meet up with Jesus and Mary at Simon's house. Now, this story is the one I was particularly interested in when I asked the elder if I could do this story. Let's go to the story in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have with you always. So picture the scene. Mary appears at a dinner her brothers seated at the table in Simon's house. Martha, her sister, as usual, is serving. And Mary shows up, we're told, with a pound of fragrant oil. It doesn't appear that Mary was trying to make a spectacle. She had come to anoint Jesus' body. We're told she put the oil on his head, on his feet. She wiped it with her hair and with her tears. And her act filled the whole house, not the room, with the fragrance of the oil. Now, this is the point where I got a bit sidetracked, if I'm confessed. I started talking about the responses of everybody around. What the disciples said, what Simon said, what Judas said. But really and truly, those are secondary elements. What really matters is the heart of Mary in this act. Mary did not care that the act of cleaning feet was a servant's job. Mary did not care that she was a sinner and those looking upon her would say, what is this sinful do woman doing here? She did not care. Mary did not care that she had used one year's worth 
of work that was the value of 300 denarii in this perfume. But she broke it and she emptied all on Jesus' feet and his head. What would make a woman give up one year's work worth of money to do such a lavish act that those around her call it a waste? What about you? What about me? Here's what I think. There is something amazing about Jesus's love. Jesus is elevating of our status. Jesus taking us beyond cultural norms and stereotypes. Jesus elevating us to the point where he even empathizes with us. There is something about being in the presence of that type of love that pulls out of you a loving response in return. And that is what we see in the act of Mary. The onlookers don't get it. They see waste where Mary says oil of praise. They see her sinfulness where Mary sees Jesus' glory. They see her doing something that is socially awkward where Mary sees the privilege that she has to even touch and anoint the living body of Jesus six days before the Passover where he will die. And that brings us to our last theme. We are in a position where we get to decide. Sisters, are you a Mary? Are you willing to break past what is culturally acceptable to lavish your praise on your risen savior? Are you willing to be used by the Lord of the harvest to go on mission trips and to be a missionary for him? Are you willing to spend time at the feet of Jesus and learn of him? Here's the crazy thing though. In Mark 8.31, Jesus had foretold for the first time that he would die. Later on in Mark 9.31, but wait, before I go to Mark 9.31, in Mark 8.31, when Jesus says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after that be rise again, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter was like, Lord, what manner of nonsense are you talking about? And Jesus in verse 33 rebukes Peter with the words, get thee behind me, Satan. In nine, Mark 9.31, Jesus again brings up the upcoming death and says, the son of man is going to be betrayed he is killed, he will rise again on the third day. In verse 32, we are told, but the disciples did not understand this saying, and they were even afraid to ask him, what did it mean? In Mark 10, 32 to 34, again, the third time, Jesus goes through his upcoming death. 
and predicts it. And again, his disciples. And here's what I want to tell you, my sisters and my brothers. Mary, in her act of lavishing her praise on Jesus, did not require the approval of anybody else. She was moved by the Holy Spirit to do it. And we can see this in Jesus's response. Follow with me in Mark 14, 6 and 7. Jesus says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And the words that I wrote, I read out at the beginning, he speaks again and says, Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial of her. So, Mary, a not so hidden figure, she received from Jesus the express privilege of being told that what she had done would be memorialized. What does it mean for us today, 2021? One, the same Jesus who met with Mary is waiting to meet with you. That same Jesus wants you to sit at his feet and learn of him. That same Jesus is still asking us to pray to the Lord of the harvest so he can send forth more laborers because truly the harvest is plentiful. That same Jesus wants to elevate your status and raise you up. That same Jesus has come to break us free of these cultural norms that box us and these stereotypes that say what we must not do, especially when it is against what he has said we should do. And theme three, Jesus is empathetic. He understands our pains. He understands the things we can't even speak. He understands our needs. And finally, like Mary, from the beginning of the first meeting to the death of her brother, to the scene at Simon's house, Mary is in a consistent posture. She is at the feet of Jesus. Now, some want to be at Jesus's right hand and left hand. And that was even a, a bit of an argument among the disciples. But I urge you, stay at Jesus's feet. Learn of him. Surrender yourself, your plans. Let him elevate you. And as the Holy Spirit directs you, follow. Lavish your praise upon him. Let the perfume of your praise fill the house where you live. And don't worry about the rebukers. Don't, don't worry about the critics. Don't worry about any other thing, but make a worship scene right where you are, right where your Jesus is. 
I want to thank you for your attention. And I want to urge you in your personal worship, in your time with Jesus, break what needs to be broken. Pour yourself, pour your all, empty it on him. He is a God who is faithful and true. He is a God who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He is a God who will show up and make himself mighty in your circumstance. Let us pray. Almighty God, we want to thank you and praise you for the story of Mary and Jesus. We want to thank you that we can see Jesus and see his will and his way and his plan and recognize that giving ourselves fully to him is our reasonable service. May we men, women, boys and girls listening right now commit ourselves to do just that. May we put aside everything that will prevent us from lavishing our praise upon him. And may all the glory, all the honor, all the dominion, all the praise, all the majesty go to you and to you alone, almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.